your Bibles, if you have one this morning, to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. And as you get there, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 15 through 16, says this, and it seems to fit with the current times. Three things are never satisfied. Four never say enough. Sheol, that's the grave in Jewish terms, the barren womb, the land that the land never satisfied with water, and fire that never says enough. I'll put that in human terms. You know what that fire is? It's hunger. We have been designed by a creator to depend on him. We are designed by our creator to not be, to be, we are separate from him, but we are not independent of him. And when we choose to be independent of him, we see our hunger. And we, we try to satisfy our hunger in places that never should have been satisfied. And we see that all over the place today. <clears throat> hunger for justice, hunger for people to stop treating each other like dogs, <laughs> even though the average American is taught that we really aren't that much different from dogs. Hunger for peace, hunger, hunger for civil authority we can trust, hunger for our neighbors to do the right thing. And even though we're here in York, we're removed from some of this. I mean, nobody's walking down Lincoln Avenue in riot and protest. Every one of us in this, in this building right now and every one of us in this church, in this community has hunger for many of the same things. There's hunger in our hearts for more, for better. But the question we must ask today is, in our hunger, will we see and receive from the one who can satisfy our hunger? So, John chapter 6 we're going to read a story today that as far as the fallen human heart goes, <laughs> we're going to see not much has changed at all in 2,000 years. The Jewish people we are looking at today were hungry in many ways exactly like today. And they faced the same question. Will they see the one and receive the one who can truly satisfy their hunger? And will we be satisfied when we see him? So would you please stand as we read God's word, a timely word for us in a world full of hunger. John chapter 6, verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and he, there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread, so that these people may eat? 
He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough to give each of these people a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. (laughs) But what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in that place, so the men sat down about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This indeed is the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. You may have a seat. Let me get some water here. So just to put this in a little bit of context, tensions have gone up again in Jerusalem. Last time we had talked, Jesus had healed a lame man and then defended his father's work and testimony to the, his opponents, so they're not too happy with him. And he ends his defense of cha- in chapter 5 by reminding them that they were hoping in Moses, not the one whom Moses wrote about. And here... Jesus is going to demonstrate that he is the one who satisfies the hunger of God's people. Jesus satisfies our hunger. Jesus gives the most public sign yet to the most people. He feeds thousands of people. And the signs, just to remind everybody and get everybody on the same page, the signs are given, and these signs are written in the Gospel of John so that, what? As John chapter 20 says, you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And that is where we run into trouble. Because the signs point to Jesus through the writing of things gone wrong in the world. In this case, hunger. But there's a problem when we're hungry, and that's our first point this morning. First, We have to get right to it. We want to satisfy our hunger our own way. We want our hunger satisfied our own way. They saw the signs. Verse 2. Because they saw, they followed him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. You know, this actually sounds initially like the right thing that people should be doing. Following Jesus, right? Right? And they're following him because of the signs he's doing. He's healing people, doing miraculous good for people. But this passage is kind of a, has this mix in it. And the problem is that the people aren't following Jesus for Jesus. They're following to have their hunger satisfied their own way. They're following him because of the amazing things that he's doing the show that he can provide. I mean, if Jesus were to make a YouTube video for every, every healing that he performed, it would go viral. 
People want to see the amazing things he's doing. The crowds were hungry to see more. Why? Why are we hungry to see more? Well, one, we're made for it, and two, (laughs) we're helpless. This is one of the very few records of this, of a miracle that's recorded by all four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Other accounts say that Jesus saw these people coming to him. He said he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. No one cared about these people unless they didn't pay their taxes. They didn't have a voice. They were never invited to important people's stuff. The religious leaders heaped rules on them. The Romans reminded them regularly that they were a conquered people. They were helpless, many of them poor, impoverished. I mean, as, you, as we can see, how is it that thousands of people go up on a hillside without any food? I suspect most of them aren't dumb. But their physical problems only served as signs. Their physical problems weren't their greatest problem. Their greatest problem and our greatest problem is not a physical one. It's a spiritual one. You see, all of, our, all of the symptoms, which are the physical issues that we face in this, in this world, spring from the world being broken by sin. Sin being rebellion against our Creator. We were made, we were made to be satisfied by God. To look for Him when we were hungry. In fact, because He's the Creator, He can provide all that we need. And that means we were made to depend on Him. But because we have sinned, and in sinning, we have said, no, we don't really like this idea of depending on somebody. We want to pull ourselves up by our own spiritual bootstraps, God. Thank you. And we have sinned both by virtue of of our natures because of the first Adam and because of our daily choices. And because of that sinfulness, when we become hungry, which is actually part of our design, God gave us food to eat. When we become hungry, because of our sinfulness, we do not turn to the holy God who made us. And what do we do instead? We take things. We take things like food, like pleasure, like rest, relaxation. We take things like justice. We take things like work. We take things, even ministry. And we take people made in the image of God and we abuse them to satisfy our hunger. We demand that they satisfy our hunger. And that's what makes this text this morning one with some pretty unresolved tension. Because we who believe, we who have been saved by God's grace, not because of anything we have or haven't done, 
You know, what our, you know what our desired outcome of this is? When we trust in Jesus, do you know what, when I read this passage, do you know what I want to happen at the end of this passage? I want everyone who is on that hillside to believe Jesus for who he is. I mean, imagine that you're there. Place yourself among those thousands. And there's arguably way more than 5,000. It specifically says 5,000 men. That doesn't include women and children. So potentially upwards of 20,000 people. You're up on this hillside, and you've been there all day. The other Gospels record this. You've been there all day listening to Jesus teach, seeing him heal. And maybe, I don't know, I mean, in everyone's enthusiasm, they totally forgot to bring food. They're re, they're, and they're, maybe they're, they're either too poor or they're really unprepared. And the teaching stops later in the afternoon, and you look up, like, well, what do we do next? And you see Jesus having some discussion with those closest to him. They look concerned, and they start waving their hands around helplessly in the air. And then one of them brings a boy. And you see him carrying a little sack. Presumably some food. And Jesus has everybody sit down. And then he prays. And then he sends his disciples out amongst the crowd with little bits of this lunch. Lunch that would feed maybe, a, maybe only a boy. But not the thousands who are there. And the disciples start walking through the people, handing out pieces of bread and fish. I mean, can you imagine? You're, you're, you're there, you haven't had food all day, and everyone around you hasn't had food all day. You have a gastrointestinal symphony going on. Some stomachs are gurgling, people are starting to be like, oh, I'm really hungry. And everyone is looking up at these guys sent out with an indistinguishable amount of food. Okay, the first person receives some bread and fish. Fine. And the second. And there's this split moment of time between the second and third person where everyone is wondering, is he serious? Those poor fools. <laughs> they're they're going to run out of food. And then the third person gets some food. And then the fourth. And then the ninth and the 30th, the 200th, the 800th, the 1500th, the 4,000th, the 6,000th, the 10,000th, and on. And you, in the crowd, you don't just get a little bit. You don't just get crumbs. You get as much as your stomach can handle. And more. I'm not sure. But I feel like, at that moment... My thoughts of hunger are gone. Like, I could hardly eat anything knowing that five loaves and two fish are feeding thousands of people. And that seems to be the case in this text because the people, after eating, they are practically bursting when the leftovers are collected. It says in verse 14, This indeed is the prophet who is to come into the world. 
And when we read that, we're here today thinking, yes, that's right, he is. They're getting it. Jesus is the prophet that Moses was said was going to come. And they're confessing it. This is great. That's what I'd like to have happen. But there's a problem. Because they're still hungry. How do we know? How do we know they're still hungry? Jesus recognizes it. Verse 15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king. You see, the physical sign is, is meant to point them to a spiritual reality, to their spiritual need. And they miss it. God in the flesh is right among them, feeding them with physical food so that they would look to him. But they look to him and all they see is a leader who will give them bread when they don't have any of their own, which is more than the guys in Jerusalem and Rome are doing, so let's make him our king, they say to themselves. If they had recognized him for who he really is, they would have had no need to make him king. God is already king. He's already king at the beginning. He's king of Israel. In fact, they get in trouble because they ask for a king like the other nations, the pagan nations. God is king already. He doesn't need to be made king. He needs to be submitted to. He needs to be believed. He needs to be trusted. Apart from trusting Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, we will even try to use him to satisfy our hunger our own way. But Jesus has a better way. And for those who do believe him, who truly trust him, he's going to show them. Number two, God involves his people in addressing hunger. Verse five, we're jumping around this text So hang with me. Verse 5, lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? (laughs) What a question. Possibly 20,000 people are coming up the hill, and Jesus says to Philip, probably because Philip is more familiar with the region than others, he asks him, how are we going to feed these people, Philip? Philip? (laughs) I don't know, maybe I'm the only one that finds that question funny, but in the the other Gospels, the disciples are actually, actually before Jesus says anything, the disciples are telling Jesus that he should really send the crowds away so that they can go get some food themselves. Now, this could be considered caring, making sure that they have time to go get something themselves, or it could be considered that they didn't want to involve themselves with needy people. So what does Jesus do? He asks the question. What does he do in asking the question? He brings the team out onto the playing field. He said this to test him, 
for he himself knew what he was going to do, verse 6. And this is supposed to happen, church. When we believe Jesus, when we are given his new life in his name, that life was never ever meant to be a passive life, a passive faith. We can't be couch referees in Jesus' kingdom. We are called to get in the game. When we submit to the king, when we believe Jesus, we are being called to the life that we were made for. A life that is lived. Not a life that goes back to what it was doing when it was in spiritual death. See, it is by faith alone that we are saved. We trust and we are saved. The fruit of that trust necessarily comes from it because as James, as God through James writes in chapter 2 of verse 14 through 17 of his letter, he says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, having faith and trust in him, you may have life in his name, a life that is living and that is designed to help others find the satisfaction to their hunger in Jesus. Where are we going to buy bread so that these people may eat, Philip? This question would be ludicrous if it came from anybody else's mouth. But whose mouth does it come from? It comes from the Son of God, who the disciples saw change water into wine and heal people from stuff that was considered incurable. Where are we to buy bread? How do they respond? They look at the ground. <laughs> Philip seems to be a numbers guy. And he does a rough sketch of the mental math and he concludes, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Verse 6. Eight months worth of wages spent on nothing but bread would not do it for this situation, Jesus. But have you noticed that Philip has done the math wrong? He's left out the single most important variable. Jesus is there. 15 to 20,000 people. No food at this point, plus Jesus equals food enough for all of humanity at all time. For Jesus, a hillside near Galilee is not even a drop in the bucket. But Philip doesn't see it yet. So now we switch over to Andrew chiming in. And if you thought Jesus' question was crazy, listen to this response, verse 8. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. It seems like not even the, not even the disciples are prepared. And the little boy offers his lunch. 
We need to stop for a minute before we move more on Andrew. You know the one who has faith here? The child, with a childlike faith. He may have no clue of what Jesus is going to do, but he offers what he has. God may have given you nothing, or worse than nothing, but he can use it for something amazing. The person with the most faith right here is the boy whose lunch the disciples are mentioning to Jesus. Back to Andrew, though. But what are they for so many? He seems to grab for straws. A boy's lunch to feed this many. Uh, It's almost as if he's regretting even suggesting it. See, the disciples are looking with sight, not faith, and they're squirming. But before we're too hard on them, <laughs> we're very much alike, these, these guys. We know that God is with us every day because of Jesus Christ. We know that he's a providing, caring, loving God who sent his son to take away our sins and give us his righteousness and life eternal with him. And we have story after story under our belts about how God has provided for his people from the scripture and even our own lives and testimony and the testimony of the church for thousands of years. And yet, when we get in a pickle, when he gives us more than we can handle, which he will and has, we often answer like the disciples here. There ain't enough food, Jesus. This should comfort us. Because we know, we know what Jesus did with these guys. Guys who panicked on a hillside after being in the presence of the Lord for other miracles. Jesus made them the greatest men the world has ever known. God turned the world upside down or right side up through these guys. How many lives has Jesus brought to himself through the ministry of these uncreative, possibly unloving and helpless and just navel-gazing guys? You and I are some of them. God involves his people in addressing hunger. And it doesn't matter where they are. He calls us to get out in the game. And though we might squirm, we're in really good company. Because it's not about us. Because when God involves his people in addressing hunger, number three, God always does the providing. There were no man-made solutions for this. There was only the presence of God in the flesh. 
And that was more than enough. That is always more than enough. The presence of God is always more than enough. And that's what this this whole story is about. Moses, he wrote of me, Jesus said to his opponents. And we, when we are engaged in the Christian life, it is God working in us and through us as we walk with him by faith. Jesus satisfies our hunger. Moses, he wrote of me. There's a verse in this passage that we haven't covered that I read, I read this a bunch of times and I couldn't figure it, it for a while. It seems out of place. It seems like background information that doesn't seem to really help. But it actually does. Everything in this book, where it is, is there for a reason. And it does, it really matters for this passage and it matters for the rest of the chapter. And you need the whole book. It's verse 4. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Do you know what Passover is about? Do you remember what Passover is about? Well, it's about the exodus. The deliverance of the people of God from their slavery in Egypt several thousand years before this, this incident on the hillside in Galilee. Moses is sent back by God into Egypt to perform signs and wonders, to proclaim to Egypt that God is God and there is no other, and to proclaim to Israel that their Savior had come. Moses was the face of deliverance. But if you read the book of Exodus, who's the real Savior? Who is the Savior that God intended? Moses, he wrote of me, it was God himself. Over and over in the scriptures, it says something to the effect of Deuteronomy 26, verse 8. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. Not Moses. And when God brought the people out into the wilderness where there was no food, it wasn't Moses who provided for them. It was God who gave them something to eat. The Passover celebrates all of this. And so here in the wilderness of Galilee, God provides for his people so that they would look to him. And God will later in this book and has in history for his people provided as part of that Passover feast, the Passover lamb. That same Jesus who sat on that hillside to feed people bread, he gave his own body to be broken like bread, to rescue people from God's wrath against sin and to satisfy their and our hunger forever. Let's put this another way. Jesus does not come for these people to starve to death. No, he comes because he is a God of of compassion. He has compassion on this helpless crowd. And even just physically speaking, he might have been giving some of them a filling meal that some of them may have never eaten in their entire lives. 
And yet, he wants them to have a broken and contrite heart which he will not despise. He points them to the source of their provision. Jesus said, well, in verse 11 it says, Jesus then took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who receded. Think about this. Jesus is God, and God gives thanks. Trinity. (laughs) This is how much God loves, this is how much Jesus loves his Father. That he knows all provision comes from God, and he is pointing out to the people, this provision does not come from any just mere man. This comes from God. All we have, all we are, is a gift of grace from God. And our response should be worship, should be giving thanks to him. And as the God who provides, he doesn't give them a mere snack. They ate as much as they wanted. Jesus wants to communicate to this crowd that they have a lavish provider who cares for them. He is so lavish that He has sent His Son to a world of lost sinners. His priceless, irreplaceable Son. And Jesus rescues us who believe by giving Himself as the bread broken for us on a cross. And by His death and resurrection, we are satisfied. Our hunger is satisfied lavishly satisfied, but he's also not a wasteful God. Look at this in verse 12. When they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. Now, I know it's a custom in my house to save the leftovers, but it was also a Jewish custom, but that's not really the reason why Jesus is doing this. He's getting at something more when he says that nothing may be lost see later in this chapter 6 verse 30 chapter 6 verse 39 Jesus tells the crowd and this is the will of him who sent me this is the will of God the father that i should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day bread addresses a physical need but points to the spiritual reality and the need that Jesus has come for He has come to save sinners, not fill up sinners and send them away with full stomachs and dead hearts. No, he is such a more loving God than that. Jesus is there because God always does the providing and he has provided for you and for me in sending his son to satisfy our hunger, to save us from the things that we seek that don't save And he will lose none of those who have been given to him, but raise them up on the last day. Jesus satisfies our hunger. I wonder, as we close this morning, how many of you are familiar with the life of one of our brothers in the United Kingdom, England, in the 1800s? Actually, a German guy by the name of George Mueller. 
who is called by God to serve the poor children, thousands of poor, mostly orphans, on the, in the southwest part of the country. I want to encourage you to read his autobiography. I have a copy. I'd be happy to loan it out to you. But I wanted to relate this story from his life. One of thousands from a life that was continually praying and dependent on the Lord. He ran an orphanage and one morning they were out of food. I do have to ask and wonder if they, did they go looting the streets in hunger for justice? Let's see how they responded to a crisis. One morning, all the plates and cups and bowls on the table were empty. There was no food in the larder and no money to buy food. The children were standing and waiting for their morning meal when Mr. Mueller said, Children, you know we must be in time for school. Then lifting up his hands, he prayed, Dear Father, we thank thee for what thou art going to give us to eat. Amen. There was a knock at the door. The baker stood there and said, Mr. Mueller, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow I felt you didn't have bread for breakfast, and the Lord wanted me to send you some. So I got up at 2 a.m. and baked some fresh bread and have brought it. Mr. Mueller thanked the baker, and no sooner had he left when there was a second knock at the door. True story. It was the milkman. He announced that his milk cart had broken down right in front of the orphanage and that he would like to give the children his cans of fresh milk so he could empty his wagon and repair it. And orphans who had nothing and a man who had nothing had everything because he had Jesus. And he gave that blessing to those orphans who had nothing so that they too could have Jesus. Will we trust him to satisfy our hunger? Will we trust him to satisfy our hunger today when the temptations come to seek it somewhere else? And they will. They will come. Jesus said, in this world you have, will have trouble. But what did he say after that? He said, take heart. I have overcome the world. Let's believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we may have life in his name and be satisfied. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, Forgive us for when we have sought our own way, when we have sought to try to satisfy our hunger in other places where they were never meant to be satisfied. And thank you for sending your Son that we can be forgiven and that we can not only be forgiven, 
have a slate wiped clean, but that we can be filled and be satisfied. No other God offers this. No other God can deliver this, Lord. You know that. And that's why you came. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for being a God who works. And thank you, Lord, for being a God who calls us to work with you. Not in our own power, but in yours. Thank you that you are a God in whom we can see amazing things, not to see the things themselves, but to believe you and to see what you will do with, the, what, with what you have given us. So Lord, I pray this morning that you would transform our hearts, that we would, be, that we would remember that we have been satisfied and we can be satisfied in you and that you have loved us to help us grow in our faith so that we can help and bless others to be satisfied in you. We thank you for your grace. And we do pray for wisdom as to how to bless others. We pray that for as a church. We pray that as individuals. Lord, that not our name would be magnified, but that your name would be magnified. Please do this here in York, in, our, in the surrounding communities, and in this world, Lord, more and more, as you have already done. Please continue it. We pray these things in the Christ's name, in your Son's name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we worship and sing.